Amen. Thank you, Melissa. Great job, great song, great thought. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there'll be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 779, John chapter 1. Brother Wally, why don't you just put the Bible up on the screen? Because I want you to bring your Bible. I, my heart's desire as your pastor is that you have a book you hold in your hand that you know to be the Word of God and that you mark it as you go through life and let it mark you. I believe one of the greatest things anyone leaves as an inheritance is their Bible. It's a personal document. Hope you're excited about New Year. New opportunities, new goals, fresh starts. I hope if you haven't done so, you'll pick up one of those goal sheets that we passed out last week uh, in the back, and even if you only do part of it. uh, It's just a wonderful thing to uh, consider our ways and put them in the light of our Creator's message to us. A few weeks ago, on Sunday mornings, we started a lengthy uh, Sunday morning series on great texts in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Gospel of John. Everything, of course, in the Bible is inspired. Uh, God breathed it through holy men of old. It wasn't their words. It was the words of God that God used them as a human pen to write. And then God providentially preserved not just the thoughts, not just the truth, but God providentially preserved the words through the centuries for us so that this morning you and I can hold in the English language the preserved words of God. What a great privilege that is. And though all the Bible is inspired and all the Bible is preserved, there are certainly places that are more clear, more important, and more applicable to you and I today, living under grace in America uh, 2,000 years after uh, the death uh, and resurrection of Jesus than at other times in history. And because of that, I want to take some time and do some mountain peaks, some special places in those three great places books of the Bible. Last Sunday morning, we talked about Jesus Christ being full of grace and truth. We talked about how unusual it is for those two seemingly divergent qualities to exist in fullness and perfection in one individual, and they did so in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoiced in a Savior who's full of grace and full of truth, even though people at times didn't like the way he balanced those two things, we encouraged one another to grow in grace and in knowledge and truth, grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, become like him more and more in both of those areas of our life. Uh, Today, we return to the Gospel of John for what I think nearly everyone would regard to be one of the great statements in the New Testament. In this case, a statement made by John the Baptist. Now, there are several ways our culture has influenced and changed biblical Christianity over the years for the worse. But it's not just our culture that has changed biblical Christianity. Churches and spiritual leaders who try to market Christianity to an ungodly and biblically illiterate culture who purposely remove things that are more difficult to make Christianity more marketable, they have hurt the body of Christ and the work of Christ in our country. Though speaking about blood and 
sacrificing lambs, it does not market well. It's a bit too crude for those who consider themselves sophisticated. Hear me when I say this. Blood and sacrificing lambs are a key aspect of God's revelation of himself to us. See, the question is not, what do we think about sacrificing lambs or the shedding of innocent blood to please God? The best question really is, is the shedding of blood a key part of the Christian message that no one should change? Uh, I grew up, as most of you know, on a small family farm uh, in Michigan. Uh, We had anywhere from 150 to 200 chickens in addition to a lot of apples and potatoes. We would have anywhere from 5 to 20 pigs. We would have uh, miscellaneous ducks and geese roaming around. And uh, we had sheep at times, too, that my sisters, for the most part, uh, took uh, care of. And of all the farm animals that uh, are just the most beautiful, gentle, and innocent is a lamb. If you've ever seen a young lamb whose wool is unsoiled by everything around it. It is an incredibly beautiful and gentle and amazing creature. Did you know one of the many names by which the Lord Jesus Christ is described is the Lamb of God? If you're able to stand, if you'd stand this morning, please, in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought this morning is Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Of God. Uh, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And this is the record of John, that's John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? Uh, That's the Greek spelling of the Hebrew name Elijah. Are you Elijah? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice. Man, that's not even a person. I'm the voice. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. That's the Greek spelling of the Hebrew name Isaiah. Verse 24, And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. They asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Thank you. You might be seated. So when John the Baptist burst onto the scene, it created quite a stir in and around Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. 
The Jews were hungry for deliverance from their Roman oppressors, and the Roman oppressors were just the latest in a line of oppressors. They had been oppressed by many peoples over the years, most notably by the Babylonians, and then by the Greeks, and then, and then uh, on and on and on through the years to the Romans, and they were hungry. They're hoping for Messiah. And at that time, heaven had been publicly silent for about 400 years. The prophet Malachi, 400 years earlier, had laid down his pen and closed the Old Testament out with these words. These were the last words the Jews publicly heard from God. In Malachi 4, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. You see, there had been private words from God. About 30 and a half years earlier, there was a private word from God through the angel Gabriel to the priest Zechariah said John the Baptist would be born to he and his wife Elizabeth. About 30 years earlier, there had been a private word from heaven. Again, the first ones after 400 years of silence where the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, listen, you are going to be the mother of the Christ. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. There's going to be a virgin birth. That was a private message from heaven. Uh, about 30 years earlier, there had been a private message from heaven to angels keeping watch over their flock by night from the heavens when the angel proclaimed that there was a Savior born who would be in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. But nothing public since the prophecy of the prophet Malachi that closed out the Old Testament. And now from the deserts steps a man who is mostly unknown, a man ruggedly dressed whose meals were locusts, that's grasshoppers, and wild honey. No thanks. He is at the time in a remote area called Bethbara, east of the Jordan River, a wilderness type era, area of the public was hungry spiritually. But understand that though they were hungry spiritually, John's message from heaven for them wasn't what they expected. His message was not that they were going to get this great military victory over Rome, but their message was rather repentance toward God. In fact, John's first recorded words are, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John didn't tiptoe around the issues of his day. He was sent from God, and he had walked with God in the desert for who knows how long. And so instead of preaching victory over worn, uh, Rome, he warned people to bring forth fruits, meat for repentance, instead of using their Jewishness as an excuse to live carelessly and casually following Jehovah, their God. He warned them that God was able to raise up children from the stones. And he warned them that the axe was now laid to the root of the tree they needed to repent. He also spoke of someone coming after him who was mightier than he was upon whom they needed to believe and his baptism was a mark of their repentance. His baptism was a sign, an example, an outward show of the fact that they believed his message and that they were repenting toward God and looking for this one he preached to them. This prophet, John the Baptist, though he's described as being filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, did no miracle. He boldly preached and baptized by immersion in rivers. It was a mark of repentance. As I just said, 
To be baptized by John the Baptist means that you believed his message, that you believed he was sent from God, and that you were, in fact, repenting of your sins and looking for the one he spoke about. People who were hungry went everywhere to the wilderness to hear this first public word from heaven in over 400 years. And as word spread of them, the first thing we see is, not surprisingly, the religious leaders sent people to Check John out, verses 19 through 24. This is a record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? He confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, what then art thou Elias? I mean, are you the guy Malachi promised? He said, I'm not. He says, are you that prophet? Deuteronomy 18, Moses prophesied of a prophet that the people, if they didn't listen to them, would listen to that prophet, they would be judged. They say, are you that prophet? Uh, he says, he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. Notice they're not looking for an answer themselves. Isn't it interesting? Not only were their leaders not interested in going themselves for an answer, the people they sent to get an answer weren't interested in an answer. Uh, by the way, people haven't changed. People today are just like people then. People don't want their belief system challenged by the Bible. They don't want their behavior challenged by the truth from God's Word. People then and now, they basically, they want to do what they want to do, and they don't want to be confronted with anything God has actually said. They ask him, what sayest thou of thyself? If you're not the Christ and you're not Elijah and you are not that prophet Moses talked about, <laughs> notice who he does claim to be in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. As said, uh, Isaiah. Uh, if you were to look in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3, it would say this. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. John says, I'm that guy. Now you would think that if somebody says, well, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet Moses talked about, but my life and my ministry was prophesied by Isaiah, you'd think their antenna would go up. I mean, though he wasn't the Christ, and he wasn't that prophet, and he wasn't Elijah, uh, you would say, wow, that's a significant enough of a, a, this is who I am, that you would check it out, right? Verse 25. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? He said, if you're not one of those guys, why are you baptizing? Well, I'm the guy Isaiah spoke about. See, in the Old Testament, there was sprinkling of blood. There was sprinkling of oil. There was even sprinkling of water. But in the Old Testament, there was no baptism. There was no immersion in water. And this was completely new to the Jews. So why are you doing this, John, if you're not one of those three guys? And John uses the opportunity then to speak of Christ. Verse 26 and 7, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, 
I am not worthy to unloose. Listen, John told them Messiah was among them, but they didn't recognize him. He told them Messiah was preferred before him, and though he preached about Messiah, he makes sure they understand that he's not even worthy to unloose the shoe latchet of the Savior. Again, one might imagine that the, the questions John answered, you would think it would guarantee that anybody who really wanted to know what was going on would want to know who is this great one among them? Who is this one then that you're speaking of? Okay, you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're, you're not that prophet, your ministry in life is prophesied by Isaiah. Who, who is this mighty one among us whose shoe latchet you're not worthy to loose? The next day, we get the answer. Verse 29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. You remember John's purpose? We talked about it a few weeks ago, verse 7 of chapter 1. Uh, John says the same came for a witness, bear witness of that light, capital L, that all men through him might believe. John's purpose to bear witness of Jesus, he, he's doing that right here. I, I don't know what you do, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I, in my mind's eye, I try to picture what might have gone on. You, you know, was the crowd just gathered there and then all of a sudden just went all to the side and down in the middle in that gap walks Jesus. Was the crowd just there and he just stepped forward? I don't know. I do know this. That when John said that, it shook the world. This is someone who is going to take away the sins of the world. That's an earth-shattering announcement. Anybody who knew anything about how our Creator defines sin understands that if someone is going to take away the sins of the world, wow. If you knew anything about Judaism, if you knew anything about the Old Testament and the sacrifices of lambs that began with Abel shortly after the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, and you know all the thousands of lambs and tens of thousands of lambs that have been sacrificed over the years in the Jewish tabernacle and then the Jewish temple every morning and every evening, special sacrifices for the new moon, special sacrifices for Passover and for Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets and the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement all those years and all those lambs for John to say behold the Lamb of God shakes the world very different to have your sins covered than it is to have them taken away but the Lamb of God was superior to every lamb that had been offered of peep by people of faith for the last 4,000 years, beginning with Abel, up to that day that could only cover sins. See, it wasn't just earth-shattering to the earth. It was earth-shattering to those who had listened to John preach. Listen, he had just railed on all their sins. 
railed on all kinds of things. Hey, stop trusting your Jewishness. God can raise up children to Abraham from these rocks. Hey, listen, your time has run out. Right now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And as that axe chop, it won't be long. And that tree will be down. Hey, listen. Wouldn't you love to hear after that? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It would have shook the people. And to you and I today, that announcement that the Lamb of God has arrived to take away our sins, it still means everything. What I'd like to do this morning for a few minutes is just make some observations and applications of Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Please first go back in your Bible to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I hope you're planning to read at least the New Testament through this year. Even better to read the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. Even better still to read the New Testament and the Old Testament, to read it all. Even better still to have some special emphasis in the Psalms and Proverbs. Praise for God and the wisdom of God. But notice first, This morning, everyone needs to have their sins taken away to have peace with God and live forever. Psalm 103, verse 10. says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are dust. By the way, that's a great section of the Bible to memorize. See, according to the Bible, sin is a transgression of God's laws. It doesn't matter what culture says is right or wrong. It doesn't matter what Americans vote to be right or wrong. It doesn't matter what the political or religious elite say is right and wrong. Listen, the Pope doesn't get to decide what's right and wrong. Hey, the Pope can't say, oh yeah, you can go ahead and bless these homosexual unions and it's okay. No, he can't. Hey, listen, you and I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. Our Creator has defined what sin is, and sin is a transgression of God's laws. The psalmist here reminds believers what God has done with the sins of those who have believed and received Christ as Savior. That's why the psalmist uses us. Notice in verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I mean, that is really significant. You understand that if you travel north, at some point you're going to no longer be traveling north and you're going to travel south. And so north and south do meet. But if you go around the globe east, no matter where you are, east and west never meet, you're always going east. And just like east and west never meet, if you have been forgiven by God, if Christ is in your life, listen, your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. What a great thing. And the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of believers and removed them from us, never to meet us again. 
Everybody needs this. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in this world, you know, because our Creator gave you a conscience, you know that you have sinned against God. <laughs> Thankfully, according to verse 10, it says He's not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He hasn't given any of us the justice our sins deserve, thank God. In fact, even if you have seared your conscience, and some people have, and they no longer, quote, feel wrong as God defines wrong, understand that it is still written that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Still written, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's still written that there is none good, no, not one. That there are none righteous, no, not one. Listen, nobody will ever honestly be able to stand up in God's face and say, I've never lied. I have never taken anything that didn't belong to me. I have always honored my father and mother. No one will ever stand before God and say, listen, I always treated God's name as it was holy. No one will ever stand before God and say, you know, I've always loved my neighbor like myself. I have always, regardless of where I have been, loved the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. I've always done that. No one will say that. Every human being knows they need forgiveness of sins. Our sins separate us from a holy creator. And we have no hope unless they're taken away somehow. And there is only one way for them to be taken away. That is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. No church or religion can take away our sins. Bible Baptist Church can't take away your sins. No good deed can take away your sins. You can't get baptized here or sprinkled somewhere else and have that take away your sins. Only the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, can take away our sins. You see, God, thankfully, according to verse 14, He remembers that our flesh is dust. He knows that apart from his breath in our nostrils, we're just a bunch of dirt. And if it were not for God breathing life into our nostrils, we would not this morning be a living soul at all. And that's not an excuse to sin because we're just dust. What it is is a reminder that God, though we are but dust, has made a way, that he is approachable, that he has made a way through Jesus, the Lamb of God, to have our sins taken away. Do you need to come to Jesus this morning? What are you trusting for eternal life? Is it anything other than the finished work, the shed blood, the death and resurrection of Jesus? If, if it's anything other than that that you're trusting for eternal life, this morning, why don't you come to Jesus? Maybe you've deceived yourself into thinking your good works will wash your sins away. They won't. There's only the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Maybe you've mistakenly thought your religion would take away your sins. By the way, Baptists are a religion, technically. I, I, I get it. We, we are, have never been associated with Rome. I, I get it that our final authority is the Scripture. We're not Protestants. I, I understand that. Hey, listen, uh, the Baptists cannot take away your sins. Only the Lamb of God can take away your sins. 
But it's not just that everyone needs to have their sins forgiven, to have peace with God and eternal life. Next, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Say, Brother Wally, why do you have us turn in the Bible a lot most of the time? Two reasons. Number one, I want you to stay involved. And secondly, I think it's good to turn around in your Bible and understand that all the Bible from beginning to end is all dovetailed together in one way or another. Here's number two. Jesus isn't just the Lamb of God for the elect or for the Jews. He's the Lamb of God for the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. By the way, notice his intention is that believers not sin. But he also recognizes that though that's his intention, that's not going to happen. And so he says then, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's not our thought for this morning, but advocate, that's like a defense attorney. Uh, listen, if Jesus Christ is in your life, he wants us to get all the sin out of our life. We possibly can, but he understands that, listen, we are going to fail even despite our best sincere effort. And he says, if you fail, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an intercessor. We have a defense attorney. We have a mediator. We have someone to bring us to God. It's a great thought. It's just not our thought today. Verse 2 is our thought today. And he, that's the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is a propitiation it means appeasement or one that makes peace, atonement. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. <laughs> By the way, I'm glad this morning he's a propitiation for my sins, that he appeases the wrath and anger of God. I'm glad that he makes at one uh, every true believer in Jesus Christ. But understand, he's not just a propitiation for the elect. He's not just a propitiation for the Jews. He's a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sins of the world. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Listen, <laughs> Jesus died for the sins of the world. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done, Jesus Christ died for you. He gave you opportunity to have peace with God. He gives you opportunity to have your sins taken away because he is our propitiation. So what's that mean? It means we can't invite the wrong person to Christ. It means we can't go the wrong place with the gospel means Christ is the Savior for the world. It means you can't have a child that has no chance to be saved. It's always amazing to me that those who tend to believe in uh, election, sovereign election, they all believe their own children are in the elect. You, you, you can't give the gospel tract to the wrong person. We can't send a missionary to the wrong place in the world. <laughs> I like that. From the social elite of New York City to the dark streets of the roughest neighborhood in Shanghai, China, Jesus Christ died for their sins. From the religious elite in Rome to the pagan tribes of South America, Jesus Christ died for their sins. From the ivory towers of the business world of Brussels, Belgium, to digging ditches in Haiti, Jesus Christ died for their sins. From the oldest human being on the planet to the youngest responsible sinner, 
Jesus Christ died for their sins. What an incredible announcement of hope by John the Baptist when he said that day as Jesus come near, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. I hope you have a vision for the gospel beyond people in your family. Though that's where our vision starts. I hope you have a vision for the gospel beyond people who are like you who look like you, who act like you, who are at where you are in life, who look at life like you look at. I hope you have a vision for the gospel beyond that because Jesus didn't just die for those who are, quote, like us. He died for sinners everywhere. He's a propitiation for the whole world. But it isn't just that Jesus of Nazareth was the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. Next, please go in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I said everyone needs to have their sins taken away and have peace with God. I said Jesus isn't just the elect, uh, lamb for the elect of the Jews. He's the lamb of God for the whole world. And here's number three. If you reject Jesus, you miss your opportunity to be forgiven and you miss God's love expressed to you. I think though they're difficult to memorize, these are also great memory verses. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see where all the love of God is take, brought to us? In Christ Jesus. Every human being wants to be loved. That desire is expressed in unhealthy ways at times. But every human being wants to be loved. So people do often look for love in the wrong places. And after listing ten things that could never separate believers from God's love, because nothing can separate a believer from the love of God, Paul paints a picture with a funnel. The big end opened to our loving Creator, the God who is love, that all funnels down to Jesus Christ. If you miss Jesus, you will miss the love of God to you. There is true love to be found at times in family. At times, though, we don't receive the love we hope to receive from them. There is true love to be found at times in friends, but at times we don't receive the love we hope for from them. There's true love to be found in the Lord's church, but at times we don't receive the love we hope for there. Listen, the love of God to the world is funneled through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you miss Jesus, you miss the love of God to you. See, the love of God in the birth of the Savior of the world in a humble manger. Don't lament its absence in culture because the love of God was never intended to be manifested in culture. 
See the love of God in the innocent Savior hanging on a rugged cross on a skull-shaped hill outside of Jerusalem, dying as a criminal with two other criminals naked there, hanging on the cross, beaten beyond recognition. Don't lament the absence of love in the news. Don't lament the absence of love in the Middle East. Don't lament the absence of love in the world that is in rebellion against its creator. God never intended his love to be manifested in those things. It is all funneled down through the Lord Jesus Christ. See the love of God. God manifested in the Holy Spirit living in every true believer, God with us. God never leaving us or forsaking us. Don't, don't lament the absence of love in human failings. Don't lament, uh, lament the absence of love in people of any sort. It was never intended that the love of God would be fully manifested to anyone, any place other than in Jesus himself. God always intended his love to be most clearly expressed that way. So if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting the love of God expressed to you. If you decide not to follow Jesus as Lord after you believe, you're rejecting the love of God expressed to you. If you decide you're not going to pray, you're not going to read the Bible, you're not going to have anything to do with one of the Lord's churches that is focused on Christ and the Scripture, if you decide that you're not going to do that, understand, you're rejecting the love of God expressed to you. The Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world was and is the clearest expression of God's love to each of us. Thank God for a mother and father if you're blessed to have them. But their love for us is just a shadow of the love of God expressed to us in Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Thank God for family and friends, if you're blessed to have them. But they're just shadows of the love of God expressed to us in Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Thank God for the love of brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've been blessed to choose to intertwine your life with them. But they're just shadows. The love of God expressed to us in Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so I plead with you this morning. Don't look for love in the wrong places. Well, I went to that church and they didn't love me enough. That's because you're looking in the wrong spot. I'm unhappy in my marriage. They don't love me enough. Listen, you're looking in the wrong place. I just, I can't keep a friend for any length of time. They, they just, eventually, they don't love me anymore. You're looking in the wrong place. Every other source of love is imperfect, only perfected in the love of God through Jesus Christ. You are love. <laughs> you're loved by the God who is love. Love by the Father whose Son is only begotten Son to die for you. But it's not just that if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting and missing the love of God expressed to you lastly this morning. Number four, and very briefly, believers need to bear witness of the Lamb of God just like John did. You know, the world of John's day was looking for answers. Looking for hope. Looking for relief from Roman oppression. Poverty brought on by taxes. The word of John's day was in need of a great movement of God. They're floundering in darkness and formal religion. Thankfully, God did something. I have good news. God is interested in doing something today. I don't know if God has another national spiritual awakening, 
awakening for America? I hope he does. I don't know if God has a spiritual awakening for America's churches. Listen, tens and hundreds, tens of thousands of churches and probably hundreds of thousands of churches in our country are mostly dead, dying, and compromised. I hope God has a spiritual awakening for America's churches. I do know this. God wants to give any individual, any family, and any church a great awakening who seek him. None of us can change a country. None of us can change tens of thousands of churches. Every one of us can change ourselves. Every one of us can change our family. Hey, listen. If you're practicing some form of complacent, casual Christianity, if your version of following Jesus is, oh, no, church again, and then they want me to go back tonight, don't be surprised that you have almost no impact. Our heart must begin to burn. All over this room, your heart burns for hunting and fishing. Your heart burns for your 401k. Your heart burns for sports. Your heart burns for all kinds of things. Listen, our world will not be changed by my heart burn for my property. If Bible Baptist has changed, it will because... People who are spiritual leaders at Bible Baptist Church have a heart that burns with compassion for Jesus. If you want to change your family, if you want to change the circle around you, hey, listen, don't worry about the darkness in America. Worry about the darkness in your own heart. Worry about your own complacency. Worry about the fact that you don't care that you didn't read your Bible. Worry about the fact that you don't want to come to church. Worry about the fact that you had to be drug out of bed this morning. Worry about the fact that you don't care about souls. You haven't witnessed anybody. You haven't passed out a track. Oh, America's so bad. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I'm probably talking to some people today, and you need to get saved. You know, good and well, Christ isn't in your life. I plead with you. I plead with you. Come to Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. How can you say no? And I know I'm talking to a lot of people who have a relationship with Jesus. And we just walked into a new year and you're just as complacent walking into 2024 as you left 2023. Would you this morning let your heart find some passion for the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. If you quietly stand.